So today's scripture reading is selected verses from Genesis 7 through Genesis 8. We're just going to keep running through all of them, so I recommend maybe following along on the screen. So starting with Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all of the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I know what you're thinking. Boy, that is the most cheerful one-year anniversary uh, scripture verses I have ever heard in my life. No, not really. Uh, that is really kind of kind of kind of nuts, though, if you think about it. Uh, one year ago, we were meeting here. There was eight inches of snow on the ground, and people still came. We the gospel was preached, and 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 it was a good day. God was gracious. And he's been gracious since then to uh, build our uh, people that are here, people who are hearing the gospel regularly, daily, and applying it to their hearts because it's healing. And we've been sharing it with our neighbors. We've been sharing the gospel to ourselves in the mirror every day, speaking the truth of the gospel to our pillows that condemn us at night. And we tell it to our friends, the truth. And that's good news. And so we've seen small groups grow. 
We've seen children be discipled. We have, uh, I think we have like six kids signed up to profess their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we are going to start that March 15th. That is good news. Uh, also, good news if you're in the financial kind of thing, uh, we have exceeded expenses by internal giving only, which is awesome. If you're, if you're, a, if you're a money person, you're like, cha-ching, like, <laughs> dang it, God is actually uh, being faithful to his work and mission. But we're in the second day, second time, we're, as we're going through, through Genesis, that we're talking about this person, Noah, and the theme of judgment is coming up again. You're probably wondering, what is up with him? Does he, does he like secretly want to be a fire and brimstone preacher underneath that little facade and usually those little weird vests that he wears? Yeah, uh, no, I don't want to be a fire and brimstone preacher, but I'm just going to preach whatever the text gives me. And once again, as we are going through the story of Noah, we have judgment. You know, and most people are adverse to judgment, and I'd probably usually read about judgment and just want to close my Bible at that time, like, ooh, that's a really uncomfortable feeling. And so usually I don't like it. But judgment's important. Uh, Kanye West, that great theologian, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kanye West once said, I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. Well, for one political candidate, Michael Bloomberg, he actually thinks that this is possible. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, he's the guy interrupting all your YouTube streaming. That's, that's that guy. Um, and he said this, that he could buy himself the positive verdict before God, and he says this. I'm telling you, and this is a quote, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. <laughs> no, I'm heading straight in. He told the reporter, Jeremy Peters, I have earned my place, he says, in heaven. It's not even close. And why does he say that? It's because he gave $50 million to, for gun control. Gave $50 million for gun control. And so, you know, but let's think about percentages and see how well he's doing and see how that judgment goes. When he's uh, estimated worth is $64 billion, and if, you have, if he gives $50 million, do you know that is only 0 .078, continuing on forever percent, 0 .078%. I've, I know most of us give more than that, like by percentage, in one week often. Than he does. And so, like, depending on what standard, like, oh, God ought to let me in because I gave $50 million. Really? Do you think you could buy God with so little? Do you think you could fool him like that? Like, Bloomberg, thanks. God, you could be in. But I think we need to repent from this selfish, self-centered ways. It's not impressing God. And every one of us in some form or fashion are functionally thinking that we can buy off God, that we can pay him off, that we can be good enough to get in. But when the whole of the Christian life is rather, like as Martin Luther says, all of the Christian life is repentance. All of the Christian life is turning away, turning away from self-centered ways, thinking that we could buy God off, and rather saying, I have nothing to offer. All I've got is your promises in the gospel. That is what we have. So, 
If you want to quantify how much you have to do to get in, to God, get in good with God, you're playing the wrong game. If you think it's based on your performance, then you're only half right. Because your performance will get you a verdict. But it will be the same as all those who perished in the time of Noah. But we all need a verdict of judgment, don't we? We all instinctively know it to be true. How do I know? Because I know, I know I'm always thinking about it. I'm always thinking about what does other people think about me? Like, did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? And did I mess up along the way? And we're always thinking that everybody is always thinking about us. And there's so many of us that are sitting here like, oh man, I do that all the time. And we're always scared. Another way that I know is, uh, uh, about this is uh, we have these things. Uh, we, we, we cover up all our insecurities all the day long. And then we arrive back at the courtroom of our own pillow and it seems to only shout our condemnation. So what can possibly give us the verdict we need? The verdict that can tell our pillows to shut up, to give us real rest and give us real peace, to give us the verdict that, that it is definitive declaration of this is actually who you are and you never have to go back to anywhere else and you never have to prove yourself. Where do we get that? That only is a defense that is given to you by the power and the truth of the work of Jesus Christ and the declaration of the gospel, the basic message of Christianity. But that isn't our predominant story in our world. No, it isn't that Jesus is our defense. Oh no, we live in the world of Instagram filters. You know, we find these little marks and everything about us that makes us a little intolerable, makes us unpresentable, you know, makes us, we need something to kind of filter out and be my defense in order that I can be acceptable. And we don't just do it externally on social media, oh no, oh no, no. We've got the moral filter that we put on. It's to cover up our moral performance, to make sure that we've got it together. We got the filter of, uh, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, we like to say. Uh, whenever my spouse comes up to me, I will like to say, and she says things that, that I, I, need, I need help with, I like to say things, well, at least I didn't. Or I like to say, if you understood why. Uh, sometimes people may say, but you make me so upset. Or I'm only doing my work. This is work time. I need to be able to do my work. Uh, you know, if I don't get it done, then no one will. We like the filter of, well, then maybe uh, you should consider that you do this. Or we like to make ourselves look good. We lie. We indulge. We bend the truth to get people to notice us. Hashtag slaving away at work. Like serving the homeless selfie. Like, look at my personal devotional time, and we take a picture of our Bible, and then we stop. Or, look, I underlined my Bible. I underline my Bible a lot. I'm not saying that's wrong. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying personal devotional time is wrong. But here's the deal. We can be completely morally bankrupt and still have the greatest Instagram feed ever. We would have zero defense on our own. 
And maybe we should heed the advice of rapper Kendrick Lamar, who says, I'm so sick and tired of the Photoshop. Show me, some, show me something natural. And I won't go into the rest of it and don't look up the song. All right, Kendrick. <laughs> if we're to be humble, we need to realize that our own self-defense mechanisms are only condemning us. We have no defense. We need to confess that we come to God with empty hands, needy. But it is so hard in our world to ever come to God needy. Are you kidding? You know, here's the deal. All man-made self-defense is only self-condemnation. We need to confess our need for a better defense. All our defenses are only a pool noodle in the tsunami of judgment coming our way. Kanye also said in another song, I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid. But since he got the defense of Jesus Christ, he changed the lyrics to that song, I want to talk to God, now I'm not afraid. And how do we go from being afraid of God's judgment on a day-to-day basis, fearing our pillows, fearing ourselves, fearing condemnation of others, to going to say, I am not afraid of God? Noah shows us a better way. He tells us that we need a defense for the day of judgment. And judgment falls on us all. Judgment also restores, and judgment is what we all need. So he tells us about the judgment that falls on us all, the judgment that restores, and the judgment that we need. So the judgment that falls on us all. The story of Noah and the flood reminds us of our mortality. And someday we will all face judgment. And all must make a defense. There's no difference. It comes on every single person. But God, it says, he patiently waited in First Peter 3. He waited It took Noah some time to build the ark, and he waited while he was building. And people could have seen like, hey, what are you doing building that giant boat out here in the middle of nowhere? What's going on? And he probably could have said, you know what? Uh, God's coming to judge the earth, and he's about to blot everybody out who's evil. You should probably repent. How many people repented and actually followed him? There was like eight. There's eight people, it says in the book. Eight people at that time. It was his family that was saved. You know, they continued to be self-centered, self-focused. They only had self-defenses. Matthew 24, Jesus talking about the impending judgment coming to all, and no one knowing the time or hour when it would happen. He invokes the story of Noah, and he says this. And this is Jesus, so, you know, listen up. The rest of it you could probably tune out because it's just Vince speaking. Uh, For as were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He means that it's going to be unexpected. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. So Jesus' solution is this is what he says. Y'all stay awake. Stay awake. Don't forget what's coming. All of life is repentance, as Martin Luther says. Make your habit to, to do this, to daily turn to Christ and away from our sin. Because it is the only defense for us. Turn away from defensive self-protection and to turn to Jesus' 
verdict on your life. We have to do it daily, hourly. We have to stay awake. Uh, Jonathan Vodders, he's a former pro cyclist and a team manager, says of the coronavirus epidemic, and I found it very apt to today, the real epidemic is the modern denial of the inevitability of life, or of death. The inevitability of death. The real epidemic is the modern denial of the inevitability of death. Many of us go through our everyday life never thinking about our mortality. And why should we? With modern medicine, gone are the days of sudden deaths. But the, the, the story of Noah, he kind of confronts us all in saying, uh, you are living in ignorance. Jesus says, don't be ignorant, it's coming. You see, we are distracted with new Instagram filter tests telling us what Disney princess we really are. We're di- we're, we are uh, distracted with the Democratic primaries. We are lulled to sleep with the internet telling us that the sky is falling. And we're lulled to sleep by YouTube videos over and over again, especially if you're like me. They're just cycling videos of guys torturing themselves going up mountains. That's all I watch. And so... But we're all distracted. Jesus is saying, oh, you better be awake. It's going to happen just like Noah. And so how does this story, though, tell us to stay awake? And how does it tell us that this judgment is coming on us all? So first in chapter 7, it talks about the exact years of Noah's life. It says, in the 600th year. It talks about these years specifically in order for you to know that this is a historical event. It's saying, this happened, this actually happened, and it happened in this year of Noah's life, of a person who actually lived. So please, look out. You know, and so, I know the years are kind of crazy, they probably work as some sort of symbolic function, but I cannot actually know, so I'm just going to take the Bible for, the what, for what it says. The narrator is sure to tell you that the years, uh, it, in order to kind of ground events, though, in time and space. Next, the narrator ta- talks about the ubiquity of the flood or the judgment. It says that it came on all living creatures. It says the flood continued 40 days in verse 17. And the goal is to get listeners to know that this is a complete cycle of judgment, hence 40 days. Uh, If you read the Bible, you know 40 days is quite significant. 40 days in the wilderness for Jesus or 40 years in the wilderness for Israel. You know that 40 is significant. And it says that it was total, it covered even the high mountains until it reached the climax of judgment in verse 21. And it says this, every living thing, and the way it is written in Hebrew, it means like every single living thing that moved on the land, perished, birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Notice the every, all and then it says, everything on dry land that had, it, had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing. Oh my gosh, how much of everything do you need to say? Apparently it's a big deal for him. Only Noah was left and those, of, those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. The goal of the narrator is not to answer whether this was a regional or worldwide flood, but it is written to let you know that not a single living thing was spared the judgment of God. And to let us know today that God will not turn a blind eye to wickedness. 
to all the sad things, to all the things we turn our eyes from, and all the things that we want to cover up on an Instagram filter. God will not turn a blind eye to those things. It will be judged. There are other flood stories in the ancient Near East, most notably the epic of Gilgamesh, but since I don't think anyone's going to go over home and like, hey, I'm going to go check out Gilgamesh from the library. Um, I'll kind of give you a little thing. He talks about these, the uh, flood, but the gods of this were kind of capricious, and they're like, ah, oh, those humans are so annoying. They make a lot of noise. That is literally what they said. And let's flood the earth. So they cause a flood, and the flood starts coming up, and then the gods are like, oh, no, what did we do? We're going to die in this flood. And so they are scared of their own flood. But then the hero of the story is a guy who makes a boat. What? That sounds weird. But he is saved from the wrath of God against the God's wishes. So the Bible, in some way, is working as a polemic against that. Rather, God is gracious and merciful, and he's watching the flood waters, and he's not like going, oh, I'm afraid. You know, he's not like freaked out by it. He's the one who controls it. And so he knows this judgment. And so far from saying that, the, that this is uh, you know, disproving the legitimacy of the Bible, other stories tell us that the Bible story is probably more plausible than before. Because there's other histories in the ancient Near East and other stories about floods in the world. And so every person faces judgment. You see, it's foolish to think we will not face judgment. Truthfully, we all face death. I got the ending to your story. And so and so died. We all face death. And that is the one judgment that we can't avoid. Someday, the ground will receive our body. Someday. The thing with Christianity, though, is that God provides a way to survive the judgment. And in this case, he does it with a relationship with Noah. So Christianity ought not to play favorites, you know, because why? was it up to performance? Was it up to anything you did for you to be saved? No. The rain fell on the conservative and the progressive. The rain fell on the liberal and the libertarian. The Republican and the Democrat the churchgoer, and the non-religious deconstructionist, on the gay person and the straight person. They all were facing judgment, and they all needed salvation. They all need it, and you and I need it, and guess what? We can't earn it. And so why in the world do we ever look down on anybody else? Someone might say, oh, come on, Vince. You can't universalize your own view like that. How about if we were just sincere? It doesn't matter what we believe as long as we are sincere. And so some people might say that religious or irreligious belief is kind of like uh, looking at a uh, giant uh, uh, elephant. And we're all blindfolded. And we all got a little portion of the elephant. And so one person is down over there by the toenail and saying, oh, he's like, got a rough and callous. And another person's over by the trunk. It's like, it's wet. God is wet and, and uh, it, it sniffs me. And another person's over by the tail. is like, yeah, it tickles my nose. And, you know, it's, you know, it's over there by the tail, right? And so that's, that's what it does. And it's got like a little bit of hair. And, and so people get this little bit of the story. But here's the deal. 
Nobody could possibly say that, that that would be a valid way, unless they're sitting back and able to see the entire elephant. You see, the story of Noah, what it's trying to say is like, uh, I see the elephant, and you're all about to be stampeded. That's what the story of Noah is telling you. And so you need a savior. And so he sees the entire elephant. In Matthew 7, 2, it, it, Jesus says, By the measure in which you judge others, you will be judged. And so Jesus kind of does this fun trick, right? You'll all be judged. But the way I'm going to judge you is going to be real fun. Uh, whatever you judge or you levy on people, I will judge you by. Francis Schaeffer, a uh, real smart guy, said this. Imagine if you uh, uh, had a tape recorder, a uh, tape recorder, uh, little cassettes with magnetic tape, recorded stuff. I, Walkman, uh, look that up. Anyway, um, so imagine you had a tape recorder around your neck or Siri was recording your every bit of, of moral uh, judgments that you placed on people, right? And you know Jeff Bezos is doing this, but he's not God. Anyway, so it's listening in. And every moral judgment that you make throughout the day is then levied back on you at the end of your life. All the judgment that God needs is to press play. Think about it. Every time I look down at my kids or some person for being incompetent, and I turn that back on myself. It's not going to go good. Why? Because every time I get mad at everyone who cuts me off, I know I cut people off all the time. You know, I can't even live to my own standards. So here's the deal. You and I, we can't even live on to our own standards of judgment. So how in the world are we ever going to possibly live to God's standards of judgment? Judgment falls on everybody. And we're all always judging people. And so how in the world are we going to go look down our nose at other people? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. You're not morally superior to anybody. And so we also see that this judgment, though, it restores. It restores. And so far, far from kind of finding a judgment that, that restores you, like we're, we're always trying to have these false saviors, we're always looking for something to kind of make life better. Uh, this one says it is only by God's work. So it can't be your romance. Your next romance can't possibly save you. It can't be your job performance that's going to save you. It isn't going to be your religious participation that saves you. It's not going to be your eloquence in speaking. It's not going to be the number of Instagram followers you have or TikTok followers you get. It's not going to be any of those things that could possibly save you. The only thing that could possibly save you is God, and he restores you, and he, but he must bring judgment in order to do it. God doesn't level his judgment to wipe out people. No, he desires to see the earth reflect his values. That is why he makes a covenant. He makes a relationship, a bond in blood with Noah. So Noah is a restart. Many of us need a restart, don't we? In the New Testament, it says those who believe in Jesus Christ are given a restart. It's called being born again from John 3. Jesus says you must be born again. Paul, riffing on this, says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. When Noah gets out of the ark, it is a recreation, a new creation. 
Because the judgment was uncreation or creation in reverse, so instead of getting dry land, you suddenly have waters covering you up. That's just Genesis 1 in reverse. And so the author tells us that this is uncreation, but we need a new start. Um, One thing I don't like, right? I receive judgment every time I go to the doctor. You know that? Why? Because my doctor's going to tell me exactly what's wrong with me. Uh, For the third time in a row, he said something magical like, uh, your triglycerides are too high. Thanks, bro. I already knew that. Right? And so he leveled this judgment on me. But it's not a judgment in order to get me to uh, just kind of like guilt trip me into doing whatever. No, it's a judgment in order that I may be restored. In order that I may be healed. You see, if you went into the doctor and they said, we have bad news. You have cancer. You don't go and say to them, mm, I don't think so. Um... I think you're being intolerant. That judgment is terrible. No, they give you the judgment in order that it can be cut out and that it, you can be restored to health. And so what God does when he says that he was going to blot out every living thing was that he was going to restart it so that it would reflect him. And for so many of us, God needs to blot out so much sin and awful things, but we need to take the judgment seriously and say, you know what? All my defensiveness... All my anger, all my, my ways that I look down my nose at the incompetency of, of everyone else, I need that blotted out. And it's really bad because otherwise my whole self is going to be blotted out in the end. We need to be renewed. It's a judgment that we need to be restored. And So someone says, oh, come on. You know, that's intolerant to say that it's only one way, that this diagnosis, this, this is the only thing. That's intolerant, Vince. All right, man. If I told you that your drink was poison, would you tell me that I'm being intolerant? No, either it's poisoned or it's not poisoned, okay? It's not intolerant for me to say that if I really believed it. And it's not intolerant for you to actually believe that everyone else in this world is going to be judged along, right along with you. Either it is or it isn't. Intolerant? I don't know. You're, You're trying to say, you're going to die if you keep going down this road. I'm going to die if I keep going down this road. So it has nothing to do with tolerance. And so we see also here in this Genesis story that we see clean and unclean animals are saved. And so if you go forward to this other watery judgment, you see that a mixed multitude of worshipers and non-worshippers leave in the Exodus, and they are saved through the waters of judgment. It is parted while others, it swallows them up. So we see this over and over again. But then we see recreation. We see the winds open up in the beginning of chapter 8. And it says, uh, and, the, and God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. It sounds a lot like Genesis 1. And so recreation starts, and he says, go from the ark, God says, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. 
So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. In a weird way, God's people, his church, is a new start of all of creation. It's a new start. It's a recreation. That's what happens in the resurrection. So God had determined to blot out the violence and evil in the world, and he also does so in our lives. He will blot it out. And it is a judgment that brings restoration, though. But what about this judgment that we need? This judgment that we need. You see, this isn't like some kind of foreign thing for me. It's a personal thing. I did not grow in a Christian family, and so for me to say we're all going to be judged means that I have to look my family members in the face and say that too. I don't say it lightly. My father died, and for a lot of, for, for what I understand, he was this unrepentant sinner, living his own way, and he died because of the consequences of his own life, and it breaks my heart. And the truth is, is like, judgment really is scary, isn't it? If we think about it. And every day, I, every so often, I have terrible nightmares about my dad. Is it because I'm like neurotic or weird or different things like that? No, I, I think I have to wrestle with judgment all the time. Because it really is hard. really is scary. But how in the world are we saved through judgment? What is the judgment we need? So what defense do you have to make it through the judgment? We all might say we got a religious one and the good Sunday school answer and maybe I need to, this needs to hit home with me a little more. And we'll all say Jesus. But really, do I functionally live that on a day-to-day basis? You see, Noah, he had this relationship with God and on, and, and on behalf of this new humanity, he's like a Christ-like figure. So he was the one who was judged. He was judged as righteous, and in his place, people are saved. After leaving the ark, Noah makes a burnt sacrifice, one that fits Leviticus chapter 3. It's an atoning sacrifice. It points to the fact that Noah believed, he was trusting God, that his judgment would be placed on someone else, that they would be consumed by the fires of judgment, and that he, too, could pass through the waters and the flood of judgment. So grace, it is grace that saves him. Grace that puts the judgment we all deserve on another so that we may be accepted in relationship with God. And the scent of that sacrifice, that trust that Noah had, was pleasing to God. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and he said, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. So, Sorry, Greta Thunberg. It will not be because of protest that God relents on the earth. You cannot buy him off or leverage his arm into saying that by my protest this will work. Her protests are only effective by God's mercy. A mercy that was promised to Noah. So when the judgment of God fell on Jesus, we believe that Jesus took, took it for all those who would find themselves in him. After the flood of judgment came up on him for three days, he came out of the tomb and his sacrifice himself 
The one that Noah is pointed to was accepted. And if you're in him, then you have the defense your heart most needs. And the verdict is this. In Jesus Christ, you're accepted. You are chosen. You are wanted. You are noticed. You are loved beyond all measure. That's the verdict on your life. It is that you stand before God as righteous, wanted, and loved. That's the judgment every one of our hearts yearns for and needs. Why do we get it? It's because the flood of God's judgment comes down on Jesus Christ and we get his positive verdict. So either you will stand at the judgment on the record in defense of your own making, or you'll stand on the record of Jesus Christ for you. And this goes for us daily. Are we trusting in the record of Jesus, or am I trying to force his hand by my effort? And so we must always go back and forth and look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves, what am I doing? We have to make a conscious choice to repent from self-defense and turn to divine defense. Either we can have the defense of our own making or the defense of Jesus. Either we can have his perfect record or I can stand on my record. Either I can be judged by his works or I will be judged by my works. Either I will receive his verdict or I will earn my verdict. Either the judgment was poured out on him or it will be poured out on me. Either we are saved by the work of our own hands or we're saved, by, saved in, in his hands. Either we are condemned into the ground at death and enter into darkness or we're called out of the ground into his glorious light, into the life of his resurrection in the end. And so we make the conscious choice daily. To fight against self-defense and let the only defense that matters, the verdict of Jesus Christ on us, be the most valid, most important thing about our lives. When so often we're told to defend yourself, protect yourself, express yourself, Jesus gave himself. Let us pray.